The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, since mid-September, we have been in the crockpot of Romans 8, and we're going to finish up Romans 8 this morning. Um, This coming Saturday at our Christmas Eve service, which will be at 5.30 p.m., um, we'll we'll gather for a service of lessons and carols, okay? It's an old tradition uh, where we get together, and and primarily what we do is we hear God's Word read, kind of the story of, of the Bible, and we respond in song. Um, so that'll be at 5.30, candlelight service. Hope that we'll see some of you here on Christmas morning. Remember, our Christmas morning service, we've moved from our normal 10 a.m. slot to the 9 a.m. slot. So don't show up at 10. You're going to be really disappointed if you show up at 10 a.m. because we'll probably be done and out of here by then. Uh, but 9 a.m. Christmas morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a traditional nativity passage in Luke's gospel. And then on New Year's morning, back at 10 a.m., Flipping, flopping, getting back to 10 a.m. We'll look at the parable of the doorkeeper at the end of Mark chapter 13 and Jesus' command that we stay awake and keep watch for his second advent. Okay, um, when we turn fully into January, then we're going to take a short break from Romans and actually preach through the book of Esther um, really quick in like four weeks. Um, And then we will return to the book of Romans after that, uh, working our way through the end of Romans at a much quicker pace than we've been in Romans 8. But today, we finish Romans 8. And we've been slow roasting in in Romans chapter 8 for a a very particular reason. Romans 8 is, is all about our assurance of salvation. Knowing that we know that we know that we belong to Jesus. certainty of our salvation. From another angle, Romans 8 is about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. See, Paul wants his original readers and and us today as as Christians, he, he wants us to know with certainty that we belong to God and always will because of the finished work of Jesus He wants to remove all doubt about it. He wants to answer all questions about it. He wants you to know this deep within your soul so that you'll be able to face whatever the world throws at you. And more than that, that you would marvel and worship him more and more. Romans 8, you'll remember, began with no condemnation. It ends today with no separation. And these bookends of the chapter are are two of the most glorious truths that there are for us in the scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. None. Not if you belong to Jesus there isn't. There's no condemnation for you now and there never will be. There never can be. And there's no separation either. There never can be. There never will be. Now, that is a really hard thing for us to get our head around. It's an even harder thing to get our heart around. No separation, eternal security, certainty 
of salvation, full assurance? I mean, is that even possible? Is that even right? Yes and yes. And it's exactly what Paul wants you to get your heart around in Romans chapter 8. I shared this um, this quote uh, a couple years, or no, I think it was about one year ago, um, but it's so good, I'm going to share it again. It's from Sinclair Ferguson's book, uh, The Whole Christ, which is not an easy read, okay? It is a slog to get through most of it, and then the last three and a half chapters take off like a rocket ship, and he says this. He says, while the theology of faith is simple, the experience of assurance is complex for two reasons. The first is that we are complex, not to say complicated. And assurance impacts on what moderns have tended to call the self-image. In this instance, how do I think about myself in relation to God and Christ? And he goes on, he says, full assurance is therefore a complex spiritual and psychological process by which confessing Christ died for sinners and I rest on him, becomes, I am sure, that nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. In one individual, that complexity may be so beautifully simplified that its intricacy goes unnoticed. In others, the complexity of their self-consciousness needs to be pastorally untangled before the clear connection between believing in Christ and realizing the full implications of that becomes clear. (laughs) That's what we've been up to in the crockpot of Romans chapter 8. Pastorally untangling the complexity of our self-consciousness. Pastorally addressing all the things that try to vie against our assurance of salvation. All the doubts and self-doubt, all the questions, all the yeah, buts, and, and what abouts, pastorally untangling those so that we can grow individually, but then also collectively as a body in realizing the full implications of believing in Christ. And today in this final passage of this great chapter, there's one more question and one more answer for us. And it's the apex of Romans chapter 8. What we're going to see today is it's, it's pretty simple to say it. <laughs> it's extremely profound to believe it. And it's this. If you are truly a Christian, no one, no thing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. <laughs> nothing. Nothing ever can. Nothing ever will. We just sang that in that song. Has this truth, though, has it marinated into your soul, believers? (laughs) Are you certain of it? Sure of it? Paul wants you to be. And so he asks the question in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the, the us here is the same us that he's been talking about all throughout this chapter, right? It's those whom God foreknew and also predestined and also called and justified and will one day glorify, verse 30. It's Christians. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose, verse 28 tells us. It's Christians. Not super Christians. Just Christians. 
Regular old Christians. All Christians. It's you if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's us. It's the same us from verse 31 whom Paul declares that God is for. It's the same us from verse 32 whom he says Jesus was given up for. It's the same us from verse 34 whom the resurrected and ascended Christ is now interceding for. This is us. It's you he's talking about if you're a Christian. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he elaborates, doesn't he? Shall tribulation, he names some stuff off. What about distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Listen, all things that Paul himself was very well acquainted with, if we've read his letters, right? Especially places like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he talks about multiple imprisonments that he's been through. Countless beatings, often near death. Five times receiving the 40 lashes minus one. Being stoned, being shipwrecked, facing all kinds of dangers through toil, through hardship he talks about. Hunger and thirst, often without food. And we read that, we're like, ah, nasty, nasty stuff Paul's been through. It's terrible stuff. And you and I can read 2 Corinthians 11, and we can read this list in, in Romans 8 here, and almost skip over it because it seems so severe that it doesn't apply to us. But think it through. And don't be afraid to apply this to yourself. The, the word for tribulation here, it actually means pressing together. It, it comes from a word meaning pressure, anguish, burden. And so think about the pressures in life that you face. Sure, life is easier for us than it was for Paul, but it's still not easy, is it? What pressures are you under right now? Right now. What burdens are you carrying in your soul? What afflictions have you faced in the last year? What sufferings do you carry into here with you this morning? What tribulations? Next he says distress. The word for distress carries with, the, with it the meaning of a narrowing effect. Again, it's a notion of being squeezed. Closed in on. Unable to escape. Pressure. Stress. There's a lot of that in our lives, isn't there? And Paul is saying, is there any kind of pressure? Listen, is there any kind of stress? Anything that would squeeze you, pressure you to the extent that you would be separated from Christ? Have you honestly asked yourself that question before? You should. Next, he names persecution. We know what that means, and praise God for us in this room. We don't, we don't face the same kinds of persecution that Paul and the Roman Christians faced. After all, uh, many of the original recipients of this letter would have lived on as Christians under uh, Nero in Rome, which means that they, many of them also would have died as Christians in Rome under Nero. Paul himself, we believe, had been martyred. But what about today? What about the voices in our culture who want to call biblical Christianity 
a bigoted religion? What about the voices in our culture who want to look upon Christians and say, that's actually a hate group because we believe in God's biblical definition of sin? Those who maybe would just say you're outdated, you're out of touch. Can that kind of persecution, which is only going to intensify in our lifetimes, could it cause us to separate from the love of Christ? Famine and nakedness, he says next. Now he's getting to our basic needs of food and clothing. Is there any amount of poverty, any amount of financial pressures that you could come under that would cause you to separate? That would cause you to doubt God's goodness to you in such a way that you would perhaps turn from Him? Danger. Sore. Any threats in this world, any threats to your health, any threat of more pandemics, even the threat of World War III, death itself... Shall any of these things separate us, Paul's asking? Might any of these things drive a wedge in between us and Christ? And then look what he does in verse 36. Verse 36, he says, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now that is a direct quote from Psalm 44, verse 22. And if you go read Psalm 44, what you'll learn is that Psalm 44 is all about the righteous people of God lamenting the suffering that they're facing. It's God's people saying, God, what's going on? We haven't abandoned you. Our heart hasn't turned back. Our our steps haven't turned away. It's God's people in the Old Testament saying, man, like we've been going to church, we've been reading our Bible, we've been praying a lot, opening up our home to other people, we've been serving, we've been giving, we help support that building fund, we're all in on our gospel community. But look at this life, what what is going on? You've broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death, they say. (laughs) Psalm 44 is a sort of, what the heck, God, psalm. That's what it is. And Paul quotes it here to remind us, as God's people, all these things do come and will come to us as God's people. Sometimes even more because we're God's people. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, even death being regarded as sheep Led to the slaughter. There are going to be times in your Christian life where it feels like God has abandoned you. You might be in one of those times right now. You're looking around at the algebra of your life. You know all the variables. You've run the calculations and you've concluded, you know what? I'm pretty sure God's taking a nap. A long one. He must have rejected me. He must be hiding his face from me. He must have forgotten me. He must have forgotten my afflictions, forgotten my oppression. I'm a a laughing stock. I'm a disgrace. Those are all lines straight out of Psalm 44. 
And Paul is pointing to Psalm 44 to say, sometimes the Christian life is going to feel like Psalm 44. It's going to feel like God has forgotten you and rejected you and hidden his face from you. And the question is, is it true? Has he? And the answer the Bible gives us, of course, is no. Not if you belong to him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But there's actually another question here, if we look closely at it, that we have to address when it feels like God has forgotten you and rejected you and hidden his face from you. And that question is this. Will that ever separate you? The feeling that God is no longer with you or that he's rejected you, will that ever separate you? Will it drive a wedge between you and God? Will you let go of him? Turn away from him? Look back again at verse 35. Notice he asks, who shall separate us? Did you catch that? Who? Not what, who? And then when he elaborates, he doesn't list people. He lists things, doesn't he? He lists circumstances that come into your life. And one thing that ought to clue us in on is that at least part of what Paul has in view when he asks, who is you? What if I turn away from him? What if under these circumstances and conditions I turn away? I mean, sure, it says these things, these things cannot separate me, tribulation, persecution, and all the rest. But what if I'm not strong enough to withstand them? What if my faith isn't strong enough? I don't know how I'd react in every situation. I mean, goodness. What if the stresses of life get so hard, I sin so bad, I screw the whole thing up and blow it? I know myself. I know I'm weak. I know I waver. I struggle and sin and doubt sometimes and falter and fade. I don't know if I can handle anything and everything that could come my way. Listen, all that is exactly Paul's point here. Paul is not simply saying that Jesus still loves you when tribulation and persecution and stress and suffering and hardships come into your life. That is true. Of course it's true. But he's also saying that the love of Christ is so powerful and he will never let you go. Did you notice that Paul doesn't say who or what shall separate Christ from our love? No, he asks who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, your love Your faith isn't what's holding the whole thing together. Christ's love is what's holding this whole thing together. Recently, I was in the market for some super glue. I got these little Christmas trees, little plastic Christmas trees that are going to line my sidewalk. They got lights in them. I'm adding to the Bumgarner family Christmas light extravaganza, right? And um, Megan brought them home from an estate sale got a great deal on them. The problem is, one of the stakes on the bottom of one of them is broke off. No big deal. Get some super glue, right? So, um, I go over to Danger Russ's one night, and I'm looking at their super glue, and um, believe it or not, 
Dangerous has got three different kinds of super glue. So I'm sitting there looking at them, and you got your 99 cent super glue, and then you got, you know, your 599 super glue, and then one in the middle. And I'm thinking, like any rational human being would, why pay six dollars for something you get done with one, right? I mean, it's all super glue. In fact, I don't know about you, but I was, I was raised under the threat of accidentally gluing my eyelids shut with super glue. Anybody else? I don't know. That's just what was going on in my family. So I get the, I get the 99 cent super glue. It's probably not even called super glue. I take it home. I get everything spread out on the kitchen table. Right? I got the cardboard, got my Christmas lights out here, and I put some glue on both sides of this operation, and I stick it together. And I hold it for 10 seconds, you know? And, um, and then I check it, you know, oh, it's nothing. It's coming right apart. And I think, well, that was a little impatient on my part. Probably ought to wait a minute or so. Hold it for a minute. Same thing, nothing. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess probably shouldn't have bought the 99 cent stuff, you know? Let's hold it for five minutes, eight minutes. Not, it keeps separating, just keeps, keeps falling apart. It's, it's not doing anything, right? And so I clean up my mess and wipe all the junky super glue off and... I think, well, that's what I get for buying the 99 cent stuff. Uh, a couple days later, go to Target. Target's got all kinds of super glue. Standing in the aisle of Target, looking at all the super glues, right? And again, you got, I don't think Target goes as low as 99 cent, but you got like $1.99, and you got like, again, like your $5.99. Listen, I'm not paying $6 for super glue, okay? Just not doing it. Just not do it. So I go with the $4 one. Four times as much as the other one. I take it home, get everything spread out. Same thing. See, it won't hold. It, won't, it keeps, keeps separating. It's like this, this plastic on these old Christmas trees somehow has natural immunity to the powers of superglue. I don't understand it. I don't understand. I'm so frustrated. And then this past week, I'm at the gym. And at the gym, you know, you got all these TVs up here. You can't hear anything that's going on on them, but you can see what's going on. And here comes this commercial for Flex Glue. Have you seen this commercial? First off, Flex Glue diet is huge. I'm glad they got it on the gym because it's just motivating me to work out harder. Flex Dude here is huge, and he's just he's showing all the applications for Flex Glue. Listen, there is nothing, according to this commercial, that Flex Glue can't hold. They load up this cage, it's like the size of a car, with cinder blocks, right? And then they, they, they have, have the scale and this crane, and somehow the glue, this Flex Glue is holding the scale onto the bricks, onto the crane, and they start lifting this thing up, and they show the readout. It's like 640 pounds this super glue's holding, right? And I'm thinking, that's the glue I need right there. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what I need. Fix my Christmas lights. Listen, what Paul is telling us in Romans 8, verses 35 and 36, is that the love of Christ is like flex glue. It's not like that junky 99-cent stuff from Danger Russ's. It's flex glue. Even more pointedly, though, he's telling us this. The love of Christ is the glue, not you. Your love, your faith, is not what's holding this relationship together. Christ's love is what's holding this relationship together. And Christ's love is stronger than even flex glue. Nothing can separate what it bonds together. No one can pull it apart, not even you. So load up the cinder blocks. 
of tribulation. Load up the cinder blocks of, of distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. All the stresses, all the pressures, all the hardships, all the sufferings. When it's all weighing you down. Listen, you might falter. <laughs> you might sin. You might struggle. You might even backslide for a little while. But the love of Christ will hold. The love of Christ will hold. The love of Christ will hold. And you might be thinking right now, what about that person I know that did turn away? What about my friend who, when the the pressure of culture got turned up a couple years ago, walked away from God? Walked away from the church. Stopped holding to the authority of God's word. Maybe even changed her belief about what Jesus accomplished on the cross to begin with. I'll say two brief things about that. First, they may turn back. Don't give up on them. Don't you dare stop praying for them. Pursuing them as opportunity gives you gently, winsomely. In fact, if they truly belong to God and were truly a Christian, they will turn back. Only to, prepare, only to prove, perhaps through a long season of backsliding and pain and prayer and pursuit on your part that the love of Christ did in fact hold And should they not turn back before they pass from this life? We can say nothing more than what John says in 1 John chapter 2. That they went out from us. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. But don't be super quick to jump to 1 John 2 before your prayer and your pursuit and your prayer and your pursuit. When we read 1 John 2, we must understand this, that the people he's talking about must never have truly been a Christian to begin with. Meaning, even when someone turns away in a permanent way and never turns back, Don't doubt the bonding power of the glue. Doubt instead whether that person ever truly trusted Christ to begin with, ever really was bonded to Christ to begin with. I mean, who are you going to believe? The person who says, I truly was a Christian and have turned away? Or Jesus, who says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, stronger than all, and no one 
is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. (laughs) If you're truly a Christian, no one, no thing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The love of Christ will hold. And not only will it hold, Paul actually takes it a step further. We're not even to the apex yet. There's another step. See, for it to just merely hold, that would mean we're conquerors. We're conquerors. You ever wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror, and be like, I'm a conqueror. You ever, look, you ever wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror, and say, I'm actually more than a conqueror? No, none of us do either of those things, do we? But for it to just hold, that would mean we're conquerors. But Paul says in verse 37 that in all these things, man, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You and I are not just those who slip into heaven by the skin of our teeth just as the glue was just about to give. No, this glue never lets loose. It never can. It never will. And therefore, we are completely victorious, more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, a conqueror defeats the things that come at him, conquers them. But the one who is more than a conqueror subjugates everything that comes at him. He rules over it. For the one who is more than a conqueror, remember Romans 8, 28? God is using, he's working everything the conqueror faces. He's working it all together for good. He's making it all serve his purpose. We're more than conquerors through him because he's working everything to serve his purpose. What's his purpose? What's to conform us into the image of his son? Remember verses 29 and 30? It's an eternal purpose. We've been caught up in it. The grand purpose of glorifying Jesus. Making him to be the firstborn among many brothers that honor and glory and thanksgiving and praise will be given to him for all eternity. It's a purpose that cannot be thwarted, will not be thwarted. You are caught up, Christian, in the golden chain of foreknowledge and predestination and calling and justification and glorification. You're more than a conqueror because your complete victory is in Christ's complete victory, which is all a part of the grand plan of our triune God from all eternity. He's thought of everything. He's working everything together for your good. He's working it all together for his purpose. And therefore, you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's why Paul can take the last step up to the apex of it all and say in verse 38, I'm sure. I'm sure, he says. Paul is certain. He is convinced. He has come through a process of persuasion to a settled conclusion. He is convinced and remains convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to this. Nothing in all of human experience, life or death, nothing in the spiritual realms, angels or demons, nothing in the present, nothing yet to come that we, we can't even imagine yet, nothing in the future, no other power, no rulers, no political party or, or political policies, nothing anywhere, height nor depth, Nothing in all creation. <laughs> What's left? Nothing. Nothing. In other words, no one, no thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice in verse 39, the love of Christ from verse 35 is expanded now to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the love of the Father and the love of the Son that keeps us. The same love that Romans 5, 5 tells us the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts. It's the same love that the Father who sent his one and only son. It's the same, it's the same love from, from that father who sent his one and only son, which we recall and reflect on in so many ways at this time of year. That God so loved, so loved the world that he sent Jesus for us to be born in that manger, born of a virgin, just like he promised in love so long ago. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is yours when you believe in him. It's yours with certainty. It's yours assuredly. God shows us the same love we read of in Romans 5.8 in Christ dying for us. He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. No, he came for undeserving people like us. That's what Christmas is about. That's why Christ came, to save us. To really save us. Securely save us. Fully save us. Church, the same love that sent Jesus to the manger is the same love that sent him to the cross for us. And what Jesus accomplished there is so vast, so far-reaching. Listen, it really is finished. Not just your forgiveness. Not just no condemnation. Not just new life in the Spirit. But also, no separation. The same love that saves us, keeps us, preserves us, 
all the way to the end so we might be able to sing that old hymn, Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. If you're truly a Christian, no one, no thing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing ever can. Nothing ever will. This is the glorious apex of Romans chapter 8. Church, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the spirit of the God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father, and the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. 
for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Romans 8. And we thank you for Jesus through whom all these beautiful truths become true of us as we trust in him. Holy Spirit, would you continue to untangle anything that remains in us that causes doubt or self-doubt? Increase our assurance. Make us sure, certain. And then from that, Lord, Will we be a people who are able to face anything that comes our way? Will we be a people who are not just content and spiritually at peace with you, but unleashed as these totally and fully secure saints of yours into this world to share this good news with others who are around us because we're not ashamed of it. And so, Lord, empower us. Empower us through Romans 8 as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.